coffee culture is brewed for connection. Under the guise of coffee, we've been meeting in cafes for centuries. Today is no different. Coffee Culture, the podcast, explores the meetup. If you are a coffee enthusiast, maybe seeking modern love on a coffee date or want some health hacks, we'll dig into that too. I'm Holly Shannon. Come wrap your hands around a hot cup of connection with me on Coffee Culture. Well, hello, Coffee Culture. Um, I won the lottery. I got Jeremy Falk here with me today. And if you recall in a previous episode, I had found him accidentally looking for a meditation on Amazon Audible and found one called, conveniently, Coffee Lovers. And I'm a huge coffee lover, as we know, and it's what season five is for this show is talking a little bit about the brew, but more importantly, about connection and the meetup. But I wanted so badly to have him on the show. Um, I'm, I might have kind of stalked him a little bit to get him here. I mean, he's here. So um, I'd like to start uh, with introducing him. Hello, Jeremy. Hey, Holly. So nice to be here. Thank you. And a quick note to my coffee culture family. We'll get to spend our time with Jeremy twice this week, so you can look forward to our continuing conversation. Jeremy Falk is an experiential facilitator that embodies 16 years of training in movement sciences, meditation, and positive psychology. He began his foundational yoga and meditation studies while living in an ashram in India and completed advanced training with world-renowned teachers Jason Crandall, Stephanie Snyder, and Janet Stone. His meditation channel is one of the most popular on Audible, and he's been recognized as an ambassador for Lululemon, Fitbit, Yoga Journal, and as the head of yoga for Tempo Interactive Fitness. He loves inviting people into deeper and more authentic connections through international yoga retreats, wellness workshops, and men's circles. So, hello, Jeremy. <laughs> We're ready right to dig in. Yeah, hello, Holly. Thanks this is, for having me. This is really amazing. Um, I have so many questions. Um, and and so, I think I'm going to start with, um, maybe I'm going to start backwards. Um, you try to create authentic connections and create an atmosphere in your immersive retreats. And um, I do something similar. So I would love to talk about that. Like what brought you at the height of your career to start uh, building out retreats and specifically for men? Hmm. Well, I've always just loved, um, you know, I'm an extroverted kind of person and I love gathering with people. And I really, I really just love um, getting to explore authentic connections i think you know we spend a lot of time on the surface level in the real world and that's no secret and we pass people casually on the street and even those that we work with and see often we never get really much of a chance to figure out who are these human beings around us and i think that there's so much um, growth and understanding uh, that happens when we take time to relate but it's not easy for everyone you know sometimes uh, there, a little framework is helpful um, to get people to drop in not everyone has a natural inclination um, to lean into other humans but um, you know and I'm I'm gonna go deep right here off the bat I love but it I think the crux of it is <laughs> I really um, I really believe in this idea that the the root of of all evil is the illusion of separation and so this feeling that we are 
different and separate from other people um, is really like what is like the underpinning for what allows people to cause harm um, to each other, whether it's personal, relational, business, corporate, um, ecological, you know, so much of destruction um, comes from, you know, people not really being able to feel what they're hurting because they think it's, you know, something outside of them or they're not connected to it. Um, and, and so that's a huge motivation for me to want to bring people together to help us, um, all just remember and feel the shared and collective humanity that we have. Um, because I, I think it's not only supportive, um, to systems that, um, can operate in greater harmony, uh, for people and planet. Um, but it's also just fun and interesting. It's kind of the spice of life, um, to get to know people. So, um, that's a big and, and, you know, deep philosophical answer, but, um, you know, as a yoga teacher and wellness, um, experiential lead, uh, of course it's a natural thing. Why not get people together? Um, you know, travel is another one of my favorite things as it is for a lot of people to explore new places in the world. So yeah, it's a, it's an easy win to combine those things and go explore new places and bring rad people together and, and have a chance to authentically relate and, um, and drop in. Um, the other part of your question was around men's circles. Um, and so I guess backing up about five years ago, I was introduced to, um, a, a men's workshop. Uh, it was actually a three month sort of, of online circle. And it was the first time that I had been really introduced to something like that. My partner, um, girlfriend at the time, same partner, now wife, um, was like, I think you might like this. I think you might like this dude and, um, credit and, uh, and, and props to my teacher. His name is Shems Hartwell. And, uh, he's an incredible relational coach. He works with couples and he, and he does men's work. And, you know, for anyone not familiar, what is this men's work or this term? Um, it's really an opportunity to help, um, I think, men specifically drop some of the hyper competition that we experience in the world, which feeds back to sort of a little bit of the um, destructive nature that we see when we are trying to just one up people and we don't realize we're actually connected to them. Um, to drop a little bit of the hyperconnectedness and realize that we're actually stronger when we power through people and, 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 um, meet each other at our strengths and sort of rise up together than we are when we just try to power over people. And this is the paradigm that the planet has been off operating in for so long is I, I need to acquire more power and resource than you. And that person's going to try to acquire more power and resource than me and da, 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 da. And so it goes. Um, so men's circles can be a lot of things, but I see it as a place for us to drop some of our competitive nature um, and also to learn how to to feel and share, which is another part of uh, masculinity that has been trained to be closed off. And, you know, some uh, some guys have never really had the chance to feel safe to even just express their feelings, depending on the environments that they were raised in. So this was transformative to me. And um, I always had good guy friends, but I, I also, through the first course that I did, realized um, that I really wasn't seeking like the medicine of um, male leaders or just even like healthy masculinity and healthy role models or other men that were operating in the world um, in a really connected, grounded, um, authentic place with integrity. We have so many role models or, you know, air quote role models, um, through media, TV, movies, um, that is like the macho destructive character that's going to blow up <laughs> everything in its path to, mm -hmm. um, to win it all. And, and that's the modeling that we have. And we don't also, we don't always get a lot of modeling 
of, um, you know, a man who can be in his strength, but also can be real authentic with his experience and emotion and, and be with other people without having to have um, a hyper competitive drive. And so I realized I was missing that and also didn't, um, didn't always take the time to go deep with my friends. Sure, things would come up, we'd be there for each other. But most of the time you get together, and it's kind of casual, playful, you go for a weekend getaway, you go to a bar, you go to a movie, whatever it is, and you're just kind of hanging out. Um, the men's circles provided a space to really explore that medicine and to go a little bit deeper. Um, so five years later, I was working with him, my, my teacher Shems, and then started to co-facilitate um, some of the online programs and retreats that we were doing, and really just in, enjoyed sort of being in that space and helping other guys feel comfortable with it too. So to circle back to the, um, you know, to the original question, that piece was another um, thing that just was bringing me a lot of joy and helping to increase uh, connectivity on the planet. That is such an amazing answer. I I didn't expect you to go that deep right away, so I'm pretty happy about it. Um, you know, I have experienced so much uh, in terms of like the bro culture on LinkedIn, that um, hyper uh, competitive atmosphere. Um, I've also seen it a lot with women, a lot of mean girls and that, you know, they're lobbying to get that one spot, you know, that one seat at the table and then like hold down others. Um, and unfortunately, you're right. I think um, our media society um, and definitely social media has has uh, pumped that up and. I love that you're finding, um, this is an overused word, an authentic way <laughs> to bring everybody together. I, I know a lot of people use that word, but I think these men's circles and these immersive, immersive retreats really allow people to go deep quickly and to like shed some of that macho bro culture um and in the case of women also competitive um i wouldn't call it bro culture but it it definitely has its similarities i mean there i think women are are it's easier for women to open up to each other i think instinctively women can do that more quickly than men can so, um, but I'm really excited to hear that you're having success with that, that you're creating like a safe container where like these men can come together and learn how to have these deeper conversations. It, it must be like very uplifting for you to see it happen. Yeah, it's really a powerful experience and it's a paradigm shift. And when I got involved in that work about five years ago, um, I hadn't really heard of it before. You know, part of the reason that, that I um, got involved in it too is even a couple of years before that, what planted the original seed uh, is I was meeting with uh, a female friend to talk about some other projects. And she told me about um, a women's gathering that she was doing. And I was just so interested in it, you know, a women's circle and wanted to, you know, and it was a place for women to come together and share the things that they're going through and hardships and to open up and relate. And it may feel really um, instinctive, you know, for women to do this. And it's probably been around a lot longer. You know, the beauty of it is, is that there, that is a natural inclination that often women can feel. Um, the sorrow in it is that part of the drive to get together outside the normal structure is because the normal structure has been um, 
so disempowering to women and and in the world that we live in right so there it's like this natural rebound where, where that causes a need to then circle up together to share so much of what's going on i mean there's an inherent need for people to do that and then there's this extra societal push that has caused that so it's like a beauty and a sorrow all wrapped up and i just loved um that it was happening and so i asked my friend i was like wow like this is so great that you're circling up with your sisters like what is a you know well-intentioned open-hearted conscious man like me how can i like support that how can i you know um be in service to that and she said you don't need to be a part of our circles you need to get the men together <laughs> and you need to get the men together and mm -hmm. work on building your house while we work on building our house and then from that place then we can come together and have a better village and wow, I was like, that was very profound of her to to state it that way wow totally and so that was what initially planted the seed around men's work and then a year or two later whenever it was um, when my partner shared this thing i was like okay I'll check out what this three month online, you know, men's circle was about. And um, I've done several of them since then and many programs and realized uh, it is important. And then in the last five years, it's been quite the movement. There are many teachers, many organizations, uh, men's circles, men's groups are flourishing um, to a great degree. And I, I really hold that vision that I, I hope to see a men's, you know, circle or place um, on every corner for every type of dude. Um, because, you know, in almost any field, people are going to just be attracted to the teachers that they're attracted to. Uh, not every teacher is going to be able to relate or connect to every person and every student, and that's okay. We just need uh, more diversity among teachers so that everyone feels like they have someone that they can relate to and connect to. And so that is that is my vision, um, ultimately, um, on the planet. Well, it sounds like a something really great to look forward to. I think if you set the bar, you know, and and enough men come away feeling that they've um, elevated their experience on this planet, that they feel more human and more connected, um, it will grow. It'll grow organically. It'll grow fast, like a field of mushrooms. <laughs> it will yeah. grow, you know? Yeah. I think... Uh, people are really seeking that. I, I see it more. I see more men now that are uh, rethinking how they approach life. Um, I think it's become a more open conversation for people. It's not, I, I think in the past, it would have uh, felt almost emasculating for some men like, I, I can't do it men's circle what's that but i think right. people are becoming more open to different ways of growing and communicating um i, I don't know if you've seen that but i personally have seen that mm -hmm. yeah. absolutely Hey, coffee lovers, I have two quick announcements. I am opening a YouTube channel at Holly Shannon, and I'm going to have all of coffee culture on there. So you can capture the little shorts for five minutes here and there, or you can capture the full length interviews. Also, my book Zero to Podcast is on Amazon and it's on my website. And it is the how to guide to start your podcast really fast and get your voice and ideas on iTunes and Spotify like I did makes a great holiday gift for you, perhaps a graduation present, or maybe it's your New Year's resolution. Both links are in the show notes. And now back to our show, Coffee Culture. So Jeremy, now let's go back in time to see like, 
what young Jeremy, like how this transpired. So your connection started in an ashram. Um, at least that's how I read it, but maybe that's not how it started. So do you want to take us back a little, like how you landed in that space? That's a very tough thing to do to go to India to an ashram. That's not like you wake up, <laughs> you don't wake up one morning saying that's what you're going to do, right? Yeah. Um, my journey into yoga. Okay. That's the question. Yeah. That's like how to essentially. I yeah. I mean, because you, you did meditation and then yeah. it was also positive psychology. So you yeah. ended up at an ashram. So I was wondering what that connection was that got you to go there. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, I, you know, in college, um, psychology was my, you know, my, my bachelor's degree. And that was just because I've always been fascinated um, studying people and learning about people. So I, I spent a lot of time in psychology and sociology and philosophy, just um, interested in people and social dynamics and the way the mind works and the way that we relate. Um, and, you know, often like some college students, I, I also just didn't know what I wanted to do like with that. I knew what I was fascinated to study. So it was a natural degree for me. Um, but I didn't really want to be a research assistant in a lab. I didn't really want to be a clinical psychologist and work with patients one-on-one. -on -one, so I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I just wanted to study people. And after college, um, came home, was in a liminal space of like, all right, you know, I got like a quick, um, uh, waiter job at a, a restaurant in Malibu from LA and was just going to kind of figure it out for a few months after college. And then I ended up popping into a gym, um, uh, in my in my neighborhood and uh, i had always kind of thought about being a personal trainer because i was also a health nut and i loved working out and um, i was always into lifting weights and running which is a big part of my story because um i had, had childhood asthma and um, a big part of uh, my childhood asthma the doctors told my parents early on was to encourage me into sports not to shy me away from sports but encourage me into sports to help beat it so i grew up you know playing soccer uh, I'd flag my mom and she'd throw my inhaler onto the field and I'd puff it and throw it back when I was in high school. I, I joined the cross country team and I had it tucked in my waistband and I would hit it and I would keep running. My and son so, did the same thing, by the way. This oh, is, this is, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go yeah, ahead. totally. So, so that was a big part of it. And, um, you know, just being physical and into sports was a, a big part of my life. And then eventually the gym in high school and, and all that. So, um, I had thought about, helping people, you know, be on that path and, and get healthy. So it turns out the one of the managers of the gym was an old high school buddy of mine and said, Yeah, get get certified, I'll hire you. So there it was. And so I started working as a personal trainer and did that for like six or seven years um, in LA. And it was a great combination of um, getting to be involved in health and fitness and a little bit of that psychology, because you're, you're kind of there you are working one on one with people, helping them um, to overcome their own mental blockages, self esteem, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or just simply <laughs> lending a listening ear for 60 minutes while you're moving around the gym and they're, ch they're chatting about whatever there is on their mind in their life. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot of that. So it was this great intersection. And, um, you know, I, I guess a piece to back up. So I was, you know, in college, I was also working out a lot. So before the personal training piece, um, it was a college roommate of mine that took me to my first yoga class. And he was telling me, he, he kept inviting me to yoga for months. Um, and I was like, no, bro, I'm going to go to the gym and run. Thank you. And did that for a while and declined the invitation. And then one day I was like a little tired for the gym. So I was like, great, I'll do this yoga. I don't have that much energy. And so I went with him. It was a hot yoga class. 
and you got your ass whipped. <laughs> I got my ass whipped. Yeah, that was exactly it, Holly. I was. I remember vividly um, halfway through this class, and there I was, a muscle-bound um, early twenty-year-old. Uh, you know, just sweating profusely, dripping bullets and like shaking, falling over and dying for a sip of water. And all around me, I saw people of all ages and all body types that were cool and collected and composed in their practice. And I was this buff dude that was shaking and falling over and sweating like crazy. So I was extremely humbled and it opened the lens um, for me that there's so much more to wellness um, than, than I had, I had thought just being in the gym and working out. So that was a precursor. So from that point, I would do yoga every now and then. I was like, all right, cool. I'll add this to my repertoire. And, and every now and then I still lifted weights, ran a lot, and I'd go to yoga once in a while. And, you know, after seven years or so of being a personal trainer, I started to realize how much more there was to holistic health. And I would meet people who were into holistic nutrition. And I learned for the first time about the healing power of foods and how, um, how terrible the standard American diet really is and, and, um, and the stuff that we eat and think is food here. And, uh, and so my mind was really opening. And the last piece that set me off on this journey was that I was working one-on-one -on -one with people of all decades of life. So I was, you know, this was probably between the age of 21 and 27 or eight. And I had clients in their thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, up into their eighties. I even worked um, at a Jewish home for the aging and worked with um, senior citizens in that way too. And from every decade of life that was um, chatting with me all day, one of the constant messages I heard was, Go travel the world while you're young and free <laughs> before True. all the things that all tie you down, all exactly. the stuff. And I really, um, I heard this a lot from a lot of people and I, um, I really took it to heart. So I was like, cool. I, I want to know more about the wellness. I was into Eastern philosophies, trying to step outside the Western, um, mentality and, and wanted to go have this wanderlust experience. So I ended up saving up money for, um, a year and a half or something like that to go travel the world for a year. And that was my goal. And I gave up my apartment on Sunset Boulevard in Silver Lake. I was living in East LA at the time. My parents were graciously uh, willing to accept me. So I moved in with my folks just to save money and go have a backpacking trip um, and the adventure of a lifetime. So I did that and I went traveling for 12, about 12 months. I mean, I like to my last dollar and came home and I just made it. And um, it was during that time I was like in Europe for four months. And then I spent a lot of time in Asia and I landed in India. And I knew I was like, yeah, maybe I'll study yoga. And I, you know, I wanted to study modalities here and there. Maybe I'll do a teacher training. So I landed in India. Um, it was the most transformative five months of my life. And I ended up doing my 200 hour teacher training in an ashram on the Ganga River in the, in the city or the town of Rishikesh uh, in the north of the foothills of the Himalayas. And that was, um, it just guided me there. There's, there's so many stories that this could be easily a four hour podcast of how I arrived <laughs> at that ashram and all the, all the things that nudged me on the way. But, you know, suffice to say really that, um, that place, uh, the, my experience in Rishikesh, uh, was such that it felt like the veil between the physical and the energetic realms was a lot thinner than it is in most places, meaning, stuff that I would think or or want or things that would pop into my head would find these really interesting ways to just like show up on the street or at a cafe and um, and manifest. And it just felt like my participation with life 
and the ability to bring things from thought into presence um, was more powerful than it had been in a lot of places. Something was like magical about that place. So stuff like that brought me into that ashram and I did my 200 hour. And that was the first time we were doing yoga every day for 30 days. And I was waking up at 5 a.m. to go to the ashram to do uh, an hour of uh, pranayama breath practice and then, you know, meditation. And then we would move our bodies. Um, and, and then we'd have philosophy and more meditation and then asana again. And that was the time, the first time that I really got the full or a more complete picture of yoga, uh, the scope outside, you know, the um, physical Western classes that we know. And it was life-changing. I remember walking around the town of Rishikesh feeling simultaneously the most grounded that I had ever been in my life. And also a little bit like I was levitating um, and just kind of like floating. Wow. I was like deeply grounded and also floating. And I was like, what is going on? Um, I, I need to share this with people. It must have been hard to leave. I it mean, was. it was so powerful. Yeah, I had to drag my ass out of there because my visa was expiring and I didn't want any trouble. So I think I got out on a bus to Nepal just a few weeks after my visa expired. And luckily it was okay. Wow. It it, it would be hard maybe to go back. Uh, have you gone back? I haven't yet. Um, I would love to. This was 10 years ago. Um, and like you said, it's not necessarily an easy place. And I do recommend having a fair amount of time. India is not a place to go visit for a week. Mm -hmm. um, even two weeks is quick. Uh, but you know, worth it if you did, but do you, it's, do, um, do you think yeah. you could slide back into that, um, that magical space that you found there? Do you think maybe you're like even more evolved now that it might, might be stronger when you got there or are you afraid at all that it, you wouldn't be able to capture that lightning mm. in a bottle again? Mm. Mm. You know, I think if and when, I mean, not, not if, I, I will go back. When I go back, it will be with no expectations. Mm. Fair. Um, it will be Fair. very open and with no expectations because either one of those could be, but it is, um, it is a powerful place and it is like, um, it is like the world under a microscope. Um, everything is more intense there. Uh, the beauty um, of the world is heightened and the pain and suffering of the world is heightened and you will see it all one after the other. Um, on any casual walk on the street. And it it kind of, um, especially for somebody that isn't raised there to visit, um, I think people have kind of two divergent experiences. Some people just can't handle the intensity and their head explodes. And other people um, find this deep, um, calm center inside themselves where they can um, move through the world, seeing both the beauty and the suffering and still stay connected to a place inside themselves that will allow them to then act um, and not just freak out. Mm. You know, it's not that you're um, it's not that you're apathetic to what's going on. It's just that you need to be in a grounded place to know how to respond and not losing your shit. <laughs> so people will have those two kind of experiences. And I was I was the latter. I, I had this deep, calm center um, that developed inside of me. It's a lot there. I mean, there. I mean, I haven't been, but people I know have been there. Is all the senses are are heightened, right? Mm -hmm. It's, 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 it probably requires you to really think about what you want out of a trip like that. I mean, you kind of knew going in. So I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I, th I think it's just your senses are just all heightened. So you have to be prepared for that, right? Because that could like assault the body. So some people maybe have a negative reaction versus a positive one. I don't know. 
totally. And I wasn't prepared. It was difficult when I first got there. New Delhi is a wild city. It is it is extremely populated. Um, it is a it is it can be a tough environment. And I had traveled a lot of places in the world, and um, New Delhi still had brought an intensity um, that took me a few days to really adjust to. And then I got away to the Himalayas, um, you know, in the peaceful, quiet mountains, and could then really um, drop into a new place too. Nice. I love this. Um, I'd like to, okay, so we, we've talked a little bit about your men's circles and kind of how it started. Um, but there was a lot of stuff that was happening in between. And I don't know if maybe your work as a brand ambassador or with Amazon, with the Audible collection, if that's sort of like in the middle, uh, maybe you can help me a little bit orient your career there so we can understand where it all landed and why. Yeah, thanks. Um, well, so after the world travels, um, and I, I did deplete my last dollar, I was like living in Cambodia on an <laughs> island. I was just like casually teaching yoga because I just finished the training. Um, and I realized I ran out of money <laughs> and I called my best Surprise. friend. I called my best friend who bought me a flight home <laughs> and I came back nice. at, um, at, at 28. Yeah. And um, at 28, I LA then felt like a big messy city to me too. It just felt like a big sprawled out place. And I, I was craving something different. I had a few best friends in San Francisco that um, I had visited a handful of times and I really liked um, San Francisco. So I thought, okay, I'm about to start over at 28. I could do it anywhere. So I, I drove up to SF with my, my car packed full of stuff and pretty broke. Um, they were kind and gracious enough to uh, let me crash on their couch for several months and another buddy too. And it took me several months to get on my feet. And then I got on my feet and I was doing personal training and yoga and even Thai massage, which was another thing I studied on my travels in Thailand. Oh, just so, as an aside. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was another that was another part of the journey and, and got to do that because I was trying to study um, you know, different modalities where I could. So I had this, you know, and that was my practice. I was this, um, independent wellness entrepreneur. And, um, and then what I loved about San Francisco is that it's, you know, it's a much smaller, uh, city. It is very dense and the networking just seemed to really happen quickly. Um, and connections were made and, um, you know, I had a friend who said, why don't you go check out Lululemon? They're usually plugged into the yoga scene. If that's something you want to do. So I ended up getting a job, um, for, you know, just under a year working on the floor at Lululemon. Um, and that was, that was amazing. I got, you know, connected to studios and I ended up getting my first studio job. Um, and then when things were picking up for me, I, um, you know, I, I left the Lululemon job and I set the goal that I wanted to be an ambassador and be one of the folks on the walls that I was looking up to that were like big players and names um, for fitness and wellness in their city and, um, started teaching at different studios, uh, started teaching in corporate offices. That was another thing that was happening, which is cool because the SF is really open to that. And a lot of these companies, especially these, um, you know, tech companies like to, at the, at the time before everyone was working from home, uh, obviously the movement was to make, uh, office life as sweet and cushy as possible. So I picked up a lot of those and, and that was, um, and that was a great, uh, you know, part of the, part of the business too. So, um, I was teaching, um, at tech companies and studios and all of that. And eventually it just sort of collapsed into yoga. Um, I had a massage office for a year, but I didn't really want to stick with that. And I even just started to lose interest in the personal training. Uh, I really just became passionate about yoga and meditation and, um, and the mindset that comes with that too, because it is ultimately a mindset and, 
I've been here for 10 years and, uh, you know, just sort of um, made my way with different connections and um, established uh, uh, a proficient sort of, um, I don't know, community here, I guess. A huge thanks to Jeremy Falk. It's no accident that his meditation channel is one of the most popular on Audible. We'll be back on Sunday, so mark your calendars and join our conversation about community and connection. And Jeremy will even lead us through a little coffee meditation that we will get to experience together as a coffee culture family. Would you like to join the party, coffee lovers? I have two ways for you. Please go over to YouTube now and subscribe to at Holly Shannon, and there'll be all the videos of this podcast there as well. What's the second way you can do that? You can leave a review with your ideas in Apple Podcasts. Either way, I would love it if you share a hot cup of connection and coffee culture with a friend. And if you'd like to support this indie podcaster, you can buy me a coffee. The link is in the show notes. Thank you, coffee lovers. This season is produced by Pale Blue Studios.